0: If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mind Shack True Crime. You are listening to the jean Jean-Benet Ramsey series. This is episode three, Dark Logistics 2. I'm your host, Bruce McGuire. And Maxwell Powers. And we are back with the next edition of this tragic, tragic case, which is also amongst the most popular in true crime and recent history, as it is still officially unsolved. Although many people have many different theories. Once again, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. If you like the video, hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media platforms. Any questions, comments, thoughts, criticisms, leave them in the comments section. Also, make sure to like our Facebook page, and you can also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. So, Maxwell, do you have a current theory right now? Now that we're on episode three, we've gone over the intricacies of the case, the never-ending list of suspects that all have pros and cons against them, the strange and inconclusive DNA sample that might simply just be a red herring. So whether certain suspects matched or didn't match can be thrown out the window. I mean, what do you got?
1: Um, uh, well... I, I don't know, man. It could be the parents um or some Illuminati sacrifice i don't I don't really know.
0: <laughs> I think most people, most people, I think pick either the parents or Burke, right, and then another contingent believe it was either an intruder or something of that nature or the Santa Claus, <laughs> yeah, or someone uh, at the party, someone at the party. I think if it wasn't the parents or Burke. See the what people get tripped up on, I think, is that it really seems that John Binet must have known the the individual just based on the MO and how it all went down. It really suggests that it was someone she was familiar with. I mean, there were over twenty keys made to the house that various people had. Not to mention doors could have been opened, whatever the case may be, there's a lot of inconsistencies and unanswered questions surrounding the circumstances of that night, the night of the murder. So if it was someone she knew, then it didn't have to be the parents or Burke. That solves a lot of the issues because most people, once again, they're falling for black and white fallacies. They think it's either the parents or Burke or, an intr- or some stranger intruder that light the chances of which they think is relatively low. So I don't, I don't know. I think if it was someone she knew, that opens up the door to solve a lot of the variables that are thus unsolved. Yeah. So let's go over the exact logistics. In the previous episode, on episode 2, Dark Logistics 1, we went over the very, very detailed timeline, hour by hour, minute by minute, of the main goings-on of that night and the morning after. As well as various other issues that have come up in the case that are usually not covered for some reason when most people discuss the case and documentaries. So let's go over the layout of the house, what happened when, and see if we can shed light and find a possible smoking gun in this case. So if you look, so there's three stories. The parents are on the third floor, she's on the second floor. So the house is very big with very large rooms. This is a bona fide mansion. So we have to think, like, if there was an intruder, a killer, if they had dragged her kicking and screaming against her will all the way down to the basement from her bed after breaking into the house, especially if, if there was a break in in the basement, okay, but then they went up to her room... So Burke didn't hear anything. The parents didn't hear anything. How do you solve that logistical issue? Yeah, I don't know. So investigators actually did tests where they screamed in the basement, and you could not hear it from the Ramsey's bedroom. So that brings us to the next point, the Melody Stanton scream. So she heard a scream, And apparently there's an air duct or a vent that made this scream audible to Melody Stanton. So she's next door. She said she heard a scream at 2 a.m. that was cut off, abruptly cut off. Her husband said he heard the sound of metal hitting or scraping concrete sometime after that. And I guess neither one of them called police immediately after. So what, what, I mean, this is, this is possibly critical evidence. I mean, this is possible smoking gun evidence here. What do you think? That's, uh,
1: that's interesting. So wait, so the noise was, um, they determined that it was coming from the, like, someone walking into the basement window thing.
0: Okay. So the scream we're assuming came from the basement. So someone is killing Jean Benet and she's screaming. Yeah, in the basement. Yeah. So what is regardless of whether they came in through the front door or the back door, they got Jean Benet in the basement somehow and she's yeah. screaming. Allegedly, or someone else is screaming. So do you see where the Stantons are? So they're basically they're pretty close to the house. Yeah basically the size of one house or one lot over. Oh, so it's like two houses down. Well it's oh, no, one house it's like over a, it's
1: like diagonal. Yeah, diagonal
0: one side. house, yeah, it's basically directly across. So so what's strange is you can't hear the scream from the Ramsey's bedroom, but you can hear it from the Stanton house because of either an air duct or event that somehow makes the line of sound able to travel. So is that is that kind of strange or Or what? That's
1: not strange. Sometimes the angles and the... the, I don't mean
0: strange is unbelievable. I mean, strange as in bizarre, because you would think, I mean, because of that sound disbursement, is that why other houses didn't hear the scream? So it's kind of like, that's the only house you could hear a scream from?
1: Yeah. And what was the, like, there was that metal scraping noise like what does that produce today they... well, hold, they...
0: hold on a second we're just we're still talking about the scream first
1: <laughs> oh, okay because I, I i remember you mentioning that something about metal grading or some shit
0: yes there was a metal scraping sound but let's finish with the scream so let's let's source the early morning scream and see what we can come up with so the daily camera published an article on november 9th 1998 so Yeah, this is quite some time after. Boiler room theory arises in Ramsey killing theory supported in part by basement window facing street. This is by Charlie Brennan. Boulder. A key argument supporting a possible intruder in the JonBenet Ramsey case is a belief by some investigators that she was killed in a basement boiler room. This theory is supported in part by the existence of a basement window facing the street, outfitted with an open-air duct. The Denver Rocky Mountain News has learned that air duct may explain how a neighbor would have heard a scream the night the child died. The boiler room theory is further buttressed, sources say, by the fact that remnants of the paintbrush used to fashion the fatal garret were found just outside that room, which is adjacent to the wine cellar where her body was found. When grand jurors toured the house and grounds october twenty ninth, several were seen studying the boiler room window and its unsealed air docked from the outside. Lou Smith, who recently resigned his position as investigator on the case for Boulder District Attorney Alex Hunter, believes the boiler room theory, sources say, and thinks it argues against a family member's involvement in the crime. Smith declined to discuss his theories Friday. I wish I could, but I really can't, at least until I testify before the grand jury, he said. Smith, a former El Paso County homicide detective who came out of retirement to work for Hunter on the Ramsey case, resigned September 20th. He cited frustration with other Ramsey investigators' reluctance to consider suspects outside the family. The case tells me there is substantial credible evidence of an intruder and lack of evidence that the parents are involved, Smith said in his resignation letter. But the two-and-a-half-page letter did not detail his reasons for suspecting an intruder. Melody Stanton, a Ramsey neighbor at the time, told police she woke with a start not long after midnight, December 26, 1996, to a frightening scream. Her statement was first reported by the Globe Supermarket Weekly nearly a year later. So it took almost a year for this information to come out. That's pretty crazy. ABC's 2020 reported that Stanton typically slept with her windows slightly open. John and Patsy Ramsey had told police they heard nothing unusual after putting Jean Benet to bed around 10 p.m. on December 25th. Some investigators have had trouble reconciling that statement with the neighbor's account of a scream. Smith is among those, however, who think the basement air vent opening toward the street and no longer connected to anything in the boiler room, could have broadcast the scream toward houses across the street without the same scream being audible in the parents' bedroom on the third floor. A source close to the family said auditory tests performed by police during a second search of the home in the summer of 97, determined that sounds travel more easily from the basement out to the street than they do up through the home's four levels. Sources say Smith thinks that if the scream emanated from the boiler room, it's likely where the murder occurred, and that Smith can't envision a family member selecting such a space to commit such a crime. I mean, that's all predicated on if that was premeditated. If this was, uh, if it was Burke and they were playing in the room or playing hide-and-seek or running around, they wouldn't have selected the room. It would have just worked out the way. But anyway, Jean Benet was strangled, had a fractured skull from blunt force trauma, and had injuries consistent with sexual molestation. You wouldn't have to take her downstairs if you lived in the house, said an investigator familiar with Smith's thinking, who would talk only speaking on condition of anonymity. If you were living in the house, you'd sure choose another place besides that. Well, once again, that's if it's premeditating and you're selecting a room as opposed to some kind of an accident. I mean, even if it was John or Patsy, if she's playing down in the basement when she's not supposed to, And they got mad. It's not like they would have selected the room. I know it's kind of weird phrasing. Jean-Benet's body was discovered in a windowless basement room next to the boiler room by her father about seven hours after her mother called 911. She reported finding a a two-and-a-half-page ransom note demanding 118 thousand dollars for the child's safe return. The child's parents are under suspicion but proclaim their innocence. The murder is under investigation by a grand jury that convened in Boulder on September. 15. Robert Pence, former director of the FBI office for the Rocky Mountain region, sees the logic in Smith's reasoning. I think that would be one good reason that would point to an outsider, he said. A lot of these are spur-of-the-moment type things, a rage or argument, something that got triggered and wouldn't necessarily call for the person, whether it's a parent or siblings or whatever, to take the victim to an out-of-the-way room. I think it would explode right where it happened. Even if a Smith is right about the murder taking place in the boiler room, Pence still can't completely accept Smith's conclusion that such a scenario bolsters the intruder theory. One reason is the ransom note which Patsy Ramsey said she found on the bottom step of a back staircase while heading down to the kitchen early in the morning. If it were an intruder, the thing that would be most consistent would be the note Pence said. If it's an intruder you're not going to leave the body and that note anywhere near the same crime scene. That just increases the trail of. Evidence. An investigator close to the case also sees Smith's theory as flawed because no physical evidence was found in the boiler room. And the source said if an outsider killed John Bonet in the boiler room, why take the time after a scream loud enough to wake a neighbor to move her body to yet another room? If that scream is loud enough to be heard, then the intruder is gone because he knows mom and dad are upstairs, the police source said. With this scream, if she, Stanton, in fact heard it, if, in fact, it happened, why stay? You're out of there. Are you going to waste additional time in there? Nah. <laughs> the source said, nah. <laughs> N-A-H. <laughs> so what do you think? Um, it's okay. Yeah, that's like the worst possible comment you could ever make on a podcast, just so you know. Um, uh, you didn't follow anything? I'm trying to remember. I was following, but I'm trying to remember what he said. The source is basically saying that if an intruder killed John Bonet in this boiler room and she screamed, he would leave. He wouldn't go upstairs and write a ransom note. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless, uh, Unless the scream was him just knocking her unconscious, and then he went to write the note, and then he was going to leave with her. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios they seem to have not considered. But what I just thought of is if the scream was from an incident separate from her death. So if indeed Burke did hit her, possibly knocked her out, but didn't kill her because she was strangled apparently while she was alive. That's what the blood vessels should suggest in the autopsy. And we'll be going over that later. But it seems like she was strangled while still alive, but also hit in the head. So if someone hit her and she screamed, and that's not when she died. So if if she was strangled while she was still alive, and the blunt force trauma to the head is from a separate incident, possibly not that much earlier. It could be be minutes, could be half an hour, it could be an hour, who knows. If the earlier incident is what the neighbor heard, then the neighbor did did not hear her being killed. They heard her being hit, possibly by Burke, and then if Burke didn't hit her, I mean, if Burke didn't kill her, if Burke hit her, she screamed, and then Burke went to sleep, whatever, and there was also an intruder. To me, that seems to connect the dots a little bit more, and then if John and Patsy, if they find her dead and they think Burke did it, I've I've already laid out this theory in the previous episodes, if they were trying to cover for Burke thinking that Burke did it, even though Burke didn't do it, but maybe he did hit her, Maybe he was responsible for the initial scream. What connects all these dots and makes all this work? What do you think? Um,
1: hmm. Nothing. Well, I mean, what would connect the dots?
0: I mean. we have uh, the three, We have the scream. We have her blunt force trauma to the head, possibly by a flashlight, possibly by a baseball bat. We don't know we also have her possibly being strangled while still alive
1: so what was uh what was the exact what was the exact saying from the neighbor like what did what
0: was the order of noise that they heard all right so let's go to another let's go to an overview so all right on december 26 1996 between midnight and 2 a.m. she woke from sleep heard a child scream that lasted 3 to 5 seconds Supposedly it was cut off abruptly, but we don't know. Melody's bedroom was on the second floor facing the Ramsey house. Her neighbor, Diane Brumfitt, reported the incident to the police. Four other neighbors heard no screams. Four other neighbors heard no scraping sound. So the scraping sound is interesting because we'll get to that in a second. But here's her account. She went to bed at 10 p.m., Slept with the window slightly open, six to eight inches. I mean, that's a little more than slightly, so that's, that would be enough for some sound to travel. Yeah. Melody said no televisions or radios were on that night. So this is from April 28, 2000. CNN, Burden of Proof, John and Patsy Ramsey discussed the death of innocence. So what would you tell them to do? Patsy Ramsey says, I would say... This is the room where all of the evidence is stored. You start from the beginning, start combing, and go. John Ramsey says, go back to the neighborhood, talk to the neighbors. That's never been done by the police. Start from the beginning, start from scratch, sit down with the parents, sit down with anybody that will talk to you within a hundred yard radius of the house. Didn't they talk to the neighbor, though, who heard a scream at one point? Patsy Ramsey says, we don't know, Greta, because." No one has ever, we hear rumors all the time, no one in authority has ever talked with us and told us what they know. John Ramsey, what we know is what we have or heard on television, what we have read or heard on television. We have not heard anything official from the police. So was there a woman that heard a scream? I believe so because I've heard that reported. Van sustren asks, but you don't know for certain? John Ramsey says, I don't know for certain. So that's kind of bizarre because in 2000, they're saying, yeah, that's pretty weird. So they're saying they don't know for sure. They're also saying that none of the neighbors were interviewed. I don't know if that's true. Does that ring true to you or does this go into the category of weird things the Ramseys have said? That they never interviewed the interview uh, the neighbors? Yeah. That, um, that, yeah that either, is they, don't, that either they, they don't know about it or... Cause this article was published November 9th, 1998. Lou Smith actually worked the article that I read before. He worked on the case and he later went on to work for the Ramses. So it's, it's kind of bizarre, not to mention they were performing auditory tests in night, summer of 97, and this was reported in a 98 article. And yet, April 28th, 2000, years later, they're saying they don't know if they ever even spoke to the woman? (laughs) That's kind of bizarre, Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up. But anyway, so that's her full account. She also said, and Smith actually quoted this, a terrifying scream. Neighbor Melody Stanton, who lives across the street from the Ramseys, about 150 feet to the south, reported hearing, quote, the most terrifying child's scream I have ever heard, end quote. Wait, who said that? Melody Stanton, the neighbor who reported the scream that we've been talking about for 15 minutes. Okay. So this was, so Lou Smith reported this. So once again, he works for the Ramses or worked at some point after working for the D.A. He, he's, we're going to do a whole episode on Lou Smith and uh, issues with his investigation, as well as the legitimate evidence he has. But this is through him that this is being reported. So we don't know if he colored that, or he made her say that, or maybe she really did say that, but it seems kind of sensationalist. You would think that other this would have been picked up earlier, but who, who knows? So, yeah. And Lou Smith actually did tests that determined that you could hear it from the Stanton's bedroom and not the Ramsey's third-floor bedroom. So the Ramseys have no third-floor windows on the same side as the vent. There are three carpeted furnished floors between the basement and the third floor, concrete and steel. So Stanton woke up her husband at the sound of the scream. He reported hearing the sound of steel hit concrete shortly afterward. This could be the sound of the metal grate hitting the cement window as well. So possibly when someone's leaving through the basement window. So the Boulder police, Thomas, who we'll be getting into his specific account, he said that a scream would be audible from the Ramsey bedroom. Stanton originally said she didn't hear anything. Later, she told police she hadn't been truthful because she didn't want to get involved. In one instance, Stanton said the scream might have been negative energy from John Bonet. But a detective eliminated that from a report because Stanton insisted the scream was audible and never returned to the negative energy statement. <laughs> what do you make of that, Maxwell? <laughs> this just keeps getting more and more bizarre. Well, that's interesting. He used like negative
1: energy. I mean, did she mean? Did she mean the noise that she heard? It was just like an auditory thing, or like an energy. Like, did he? I don't know. It's just weird. Like,
0: it is weird because we have all these different accounts. So, but I, I think I don't think it's that weird that she didn't want to become involved in the case, right? That's yeah, not- yeah. I don't, I don't
1: find that weird at all. Cause like,
0: when like very often witnesses do that. They don't yeah,
1: yeah. Witness, like they don't, because it's, it's just such a long process. I mean, you have to go to court and like testify, like you know, like you. You'd rather, I think, I would say about fifty percent of the people out there, like they would rather not get involved, and hopefully they uh, they would uh, solve the case without them.
0: Well, seems- and then I
1: think and I think they would step forward if they if this case is not solved and they feel that ethical obligation. Well, what's
0: interesting is none of the other neighbors heard screams or scraping noises. However, her neighbor reported the incident to the police. So she didn't even go to the police. Her neighbor, if that account is true, her neighbor, Diane Brumfitt, reported the incident to the police. So her neighbor kind of told the police that she heard this. So the police must have talked to her. So that now the Ramseys are lying in what some people believe are many, many lying statements. Obviously that doesn't mean they're guilty, but they just want to make the police look bad because they had them as Who knows. There's a million different reasons why they could be lying without being guilty or they're lying because they're guilty. We don't know, but yeah, it is kind of bizarre. She's talking about negative energy from Jean Bonet. Then she said, so she flip-flopped, so she said she didn't hear anything, then she said she wasn't truthful about not hearing anything because she didn't want to get involved, and then she did say that the scream was real and audible, and never mentioned the negative energy after that. So
1: What was the time stamp again on her the hearing of the scream?
0: Between midnight and 2am, there's no exact stamp. Mm. You ask all these questions, and then you just, you don't do anything with them. You, you wanted her exact words I gave you her exact words from different accounts what are you gonna do with that information Maxwell you wanted the time you got the time what do you got <laughs> I got the time the auditory the energy um what are you gonna do with that
1: information um did she um I don't know I think I need more so like was, I don't know um you wanted that specifically well, I you got I guess, it. well like well they they they're they're assuming right or not assuming but the theory is that the killing came from that room like you said before not the wine cellar because the wine cellar is closed off or some shit
0: well it's it's close by so yes if, if it happened in the boiler room and they moved her body i mean it's kind of accepted that her body was moved i don't think i mean have you heard anything from what i've been saying or anything we've gone over in the past couple episodes that anybody thinks the body wasn't moved? I mean, it's kind of accepted that the body was moved. Um, I didn't know this completely accepted, but I, well, that is, that is the common report that I, I don't know. So, yeah, you got all the information on the screen. You wanted her words? You wanted uh, the time. You got the, her words, the time. What do you make of it? Um, the killing happened between 12 and 2. We don't know when the killing happened. We're talking about the scream.
1: Well, I'm thinking um maybe the killing happened between 2 and 3 because the scream is is like the precursor to the killing
0: okay what's your point with that
1: i don't know how much
0: <laughs> we're discussing the scream specifically this whole yeah, we, we've spent all this time on the scream and you kept asking more questions on the scream as if as if you were going to form some kind of an opinion regarding the scream which you still have not done so we've been on this for like for a while and I'm still I've, an, I've answered all the questions you had that you asked in an inquisitory manner as if you were gonna provide some kind of feedback with the information you were given and I'm still waiting <laughs> um,
1: well there's not much because like I don't know that much I mean it's he she she heard the screams from two to three she was across the street people thought that the audit noise would hit that spot. Better than anywhere else, so it seemed legit because they probably tested it. I think they you told me that you, they tested it, right?
0: Yeah, see, so okay, Yes. Yeah, so okay, legit. So,
1: yeah, so, so, and she heard it between 12 and 2. It could possibly, like you said before, that it was a precursor to the killing, like she wasn't killed at that point when she was screaming or something. Because, but by the way, was there blood in that? Um, or was, actually, there was no blood, right? It was nope. just translation, yeah. So, wait. Uh, was she bruised? She was bruised, right?
0: Yeah, she also had blunt force trauma to the head, and she was supposedly strangled while alive. So it okay. wasn't. So she wasn't supposedly. If the autopsy is legit, this information is legit. She was while she was being killed. She was struggling. She was not strangled after she was already dead because the what they observed with the blood vessels would not have looked that way. Supposedly, so it's really it. So it seems like. She was strangled to death. So if it's not, one, some of the theories floated were that she was hit in the head and died and they used the garret to make it seem like an intruder killed her. So if they started strangling her, she would be struggling against it. So she would be alive. But I don't know. I'm not 100% sure on that either because if, she, if you're knocked out, are you going to wake up if you're being strangled? I don't know. But you would think they would have checked for a pulse. So yeah, it's, the whole thing's kind of bizarre, so we don't know. But once again, regarding The Scream, all you got is that it seems legit.
1: Um, I don't know. What else can I bring in there? People
0: asking all these questions that aren't really relevant to The Scream, so we're kind of going in circles. Well, what would you consider relevant questions? The time of The Scream, even though I already stated it. But I was asking you for an opinion. I wasn't asking you to ask questions. <laughs> I'm the host here, Max.
1: Well, the... I don't know. I mean, I think they know better than I do. So, like, an opinion based on time-stamped scream is really not that much. I mean, what am I gonna say? Like, oh, she probably was watching TV or some shit, and she heard screams on a TV, which was a mist. Like, I don't know. And well, then the well, the, paying, the it
0: was. If you were paying attention, she supposedly went to bed at ten p.m. and there were no TVs or radios on even at ten. So. Oh, uh, I see. But I, I guess I wasn't paying attention. Well, unless she's lying about that. So for example, if you brought if you brought the case that Well, see, she didn't if she didn't want to be yeah, it's it did seem sometime if she had come forward immediately with this, then maybe she was just an attention monger. She wanted attention and made up something to be in the spotlight, but it seems she wanted the opposite because she wanted nothing to do with this. <laughs> So we can't really use that. So it seems she probably wasn't lying about what time she went to bed or the TVs or radios. So that's out. But anyway, let's move on before we all go insane. <laughs> so U.S. District Court Judge Julie Carnes had some notes on the Jean-Benet Ramsey case. And this is from her notes now. A neighbor who lived across the street from the defendants' home, however, reported that she heard a scream during the early morning of December 26, 1996. Experiments have demonstrated that the vent from the basement may have amplified the scream, so it could have been heard outside the house, but not three stories up in the defendants' bedroom. So this is from 2003. Other accounts, Daily Camera has a very detailed account of the scream, Internet poster Margu has assembled various accounts of the scream. The scream initially was unreported. So Stanton originally did not report the scream when interviewed by police on December 26th because she did not want to be involved in the case. When asked why she had not come forward with this information right after the homicide when detectives had canvassed the neighborhood, so again, It seems like detectives did canvass the neighborhood. So once again, the uh, Ramseys seem to be saying weird things. Stanton said she was so shocked by Jean Benet's death that she at first did not make any connection to the scream. And since none of the other neighbors had mentioned to her about hearing a scream, she began to doubt she actually heard it. In fact, when she told her husband, he said she probably imagined it. It was Diane Brumfit, a friend of Stanton's who reported the incident to the Boulder police after her conversation with Stanton. So that's pretty interesting, right? So th- we have, we have so many different versions of this. So it was really faint,
1: uh, noise. Cause like I've sometimes, you know, I think everyone has experienced that where they don't know if they're imagining it or they're actually hearing it. So it's so faint. So she heard it really faintly. Um, Yeah, I don't know what my point is with that, but just just interesting.
0: From, from, if we believe, Lou Smith's account, she said it was kind of like a blood-curdling scream. Remember? (laughs) uh, Oh, man. Yeah, so if we believe Lou Smith, he reported it, quote, the most terrifying child scream I have ever heard. (laughs) So not only so it couldn't have been that faint cuz she could identify it as a child scream. Now again, Lou Smith might might have made that up. We don't know, but
1: when was that when was that reported or like recorded that hearing? Was it right away or police report or I don't know when when I was went o- I went over it like five times. Yeah, I don't remember. Can you repeat yourself?
0: <laughs> again? <laughs> so oh, yeah, I just I don't, you, don't remember anything. So the first article we went over was November 9th 1998
1: so two years after
0: well no in the article it states that the statement was first reported it was recorded by the globe supermarket weekly nearly a year later so it was first reported on nearly a year later we don't know exactly when the police found out because if we're looking from these notes It does it says that her neighbor, Diane Brumfit, reported the incident after a conversation with Stanton. So, wow, okay. Hold on a second, I can get that. Okay, so Bonita Sauer was a secretary paralegal to Dan Hoffman, an attorney working for the Boulder Police Department. So she actually had these notes, and these notes from nineteen ninety-eight. They're called the Bonita Papers within the Jean Bonnet case world. So these papers in 1998 state this Stanton told the police on January 3rd that she was certain she had heard a child scream at about 2 a.m. on the night of the murder. The scream also has been alleged to have occurred between midnight and 2 a.m. She did not look at the clock but estimated the time at somewhere between midnight and 2 a.m. She stayed awake and listened for any other noises for 5 to 10 minutes but heard absolutely nothing after that. No cars, no voices, no footsteps. So she eventually went back to sleep. That's actually pretty interesting, isn't it? So it's so does that mean the intruder stayed in the house or went out the other side? Yeah, um I don't know. So the broken window is on the other side. So if, if the boiler room with the vent is going one way, so then the intruder goes through the basement, climbs out the back window, and goes away from the house in the other direction, then she would not have heard it, I suppose. So Stanton said there had only been one scream, but it was horrifying. If it came from the child, she assumed the scream had awakened the parents. This is from Lawrence Schiller's 1999 book, Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, which is, some people believe that's the best book on the case. In Thomas's account, it was a piercing scream. In the Bonita Papers, Stanton was awakened by one incredible scream, one loud, incredible scream. That, so it's, it was not faint. She related it was obviously from a child and then it lasted three to five seconds and then abruptly stopped. That's from Sowers.
1: So we had have- that's that's creepy as hell. And and, and
0: she, wait, she, she didn't call anyone? Well, we just said what happened. She uh-huh. back she heard for more noises, nothing, and went back to sleep. And then so she eventually told the police on January third. So this was the twenty this was the morning of the twenty sixth. So when police were canvassing the neighborhood in the following days, she said nothing, and then apparently her neighbor called the police and they went to talk to her again on the 3rd. And on January 3rd, so, this, so she did come fo- so this was not that long after. So a week after, the police knew about the scream, and apparently it wasn't published until almost a year later, for the first time. And yet the Ramses say they knew nothing of this weird, 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 weird. Yeah, there's a lot of different accounts here. So different people with different books, and then the Bonita Papers, something else. So what do you think? Definitely not faint, according to all of these.
1: Yeah, that's messed up. Um, I would would have nightmares with that kind of scream. Yeah,
0: that's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Okay, so some people actually don't think the scream was real. So let's address that. So they think she either imagined it like her husband initially said, if that's true. So Thomas said this, more than a year later, we would discover that Stanton also told the detective it may not have been an audible scream, but rather the negative energy radiating from Jean Benet. The detective returned to that odd point several times during the interview, but Stanton never again mentioned the negative energy. She insisted that she heard an audible scream, so the detective did not include the negative energy comment in his report. A year later, he was ordered to write an amended report. It's pretty weird. It's pretty weird, man. This case has a lot of weird issues like that. Like, so she initially said that it was not, or it may not have been an audible scream, but a negative energy radiating. You know, it's bizarre, not to get into too much of the paranormal, but what if it was a, more of a psychic scream? So it was real. It was. Uh, like almost telepathic type thing yeah yeah that's interesting (laughs) this is mine (laughs) Jack
1: yeah I mean I'm just probably too early to uh to mention but I looked at a timeline of John but John Benet (laughs) John Benet Ramsey's case and uh like the weird thing is that confession with the I don't know I mean I'm sure you'll bring it up later but confession with the teacher like the, he killed her but uh, the you, mean, DNA you mean
0: the one you mean the one we've discussed endlessly in the previous two episodes
1: oh <laughs> oh yeah i think I, yeah i think
0: you mentioned that we yeah, but I just, of... yeah but yeah but what, what i'm
1: saying like that's kind of like what, one of the weird things like someone confessing but and then proven wrong like why the hell would you con- like it's it's kind of weird like you need that what much attention
0: proving, what do you mean by proving wrong though
1: well suppose like the, the dna or something like didn't match the I don't know was, oh, I see what you mean, like it, it, it could be true that he still killed her. like but they can't prove it,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So oh, how, well, yeah, so how, yeah, so it's kind of that's 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 interesting too, yeah, well, if he's a psychotic, yeah, but well, what what's your point, like if he's a psychotic, like let's say well, I,
1: I well, I don't know how I don't know how extensive the like the the proving of that he was. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I mean...
0: He knew, yeah. some, he knew some weird details he wasn't supposed to know. But apparently, yeah, I don't know, we we discussed him already, but it seems like it wasn't him and he's just crazy. But, and if he's crazy, like, what's, I mean, I don't know, what's your point with that? Uh, well, I just find the the case biz-
1: bizarre and weird, because it's like you have someone confessing, but he, he they can't even put him in jail because he, they can't prove that he's him. Who's someone who's confessing? Oh
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's kind of weird.
0: Well, kind of like it's almost funny. False confessions happen all the time, though. It's either people seeking for attention or just really mentally disturbed people that might. I don't know. If you're that far gone mentally, do you even understand what you're doing? I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. you're, you're them, right. You're right. Cause... We can't give them the credit of saying they're definitely operating with a full deck. They are smart, intelligent, logical people. <laughs> like. <laughs> that are just yeah 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 because because you
1: know once in a while you come across like a real like pathological liars and um they really believe what they imagine so i guess all right well it's it about could... to
0: even it's about to get even a little weirder so ellis armistead pi who worked on the jean benet ramsey investigation said this it was reported in 2001 that Armistead is unsurprised that former Ramsey neighbor Melody Stanton, who reported hearing a scream the night Jean-Benet died, now believes she heard it two nights before the murder, if she heard one at all. So, there's other reports stating that she wasn't sure about the night. So, it might have been two nights, but who knows. So, apparently nobody else heard the scream, so an... Internet Poster argued this. It is a valid point to question why Melody Stanton would claim to have heard such a horrible scream when arguably her house was further away from the source than were the houses of Scott Gibbons and Diane Brumfit. The sound from the east side duck would not have been broadcast along a pipe directly to Stanton's house and no other. Sound radiates in a circle through air. The Barnhills did not describe hearing it. Glenn Meyer is not known to have heard it. Obviously Gibbons, who was awake at the relevant time, given his report of light in the house at the time, and Brumfitt have said nothing. And Burke's own bedroom window was right above the duct opening. So that's pretty interesting. Okay, so here's my rebuttal to that. Were there windows open? <laughs> because if their windows are closed, they're not going to hear anything, right? So this is December. So it's probably unusual to have your windows open in December in Boulder, Colorado, right?
1: Yeah. That's an so interesting point. That,
0: yeah. That might be the reason. Cause if she's just one of these people that always likes to have the window open, that she'd be prime to hear it where nobody else would. I see. So that's not much of a rebuttal in my book, but also regarding the vent, yeah, it wouldn't—it I, I, seems like, yeah, there would only be two or three houses that would be primed to hear it, which means if they, didn't, and if they didn't have their windows open, then indeed the Stanton House would be the only one to hear it. So that, that actually does add up, so no problem there. So once again, why didn't the Ramseys hear the scream? Smith is among those, however, who thinks the basement air vent— Opening toward the street and no longer connected to anything in the boiler room could have broadcast the scream toward houses across the street without the same scream being audible in the parents' bedroom on the third floor. A source close to the family said auditory tests performed by police during a second search of the home in the summer of 97 determined that sound travels more easily from the basement out to the street than it does up through the home's four levels. It also would be interesting if they had the heat on, the heat could have also drowned. A little bit of the sound That's true.: And if they perform the test in the summer, and they couldn't hear it in the summer without the heat, well actually if the air is well, actually, is the AC louder than the heat?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, also it depends where these, uh, these uh, machines
0: are, or whatever you call them. Yes, I just want it to be a uniform test so to, to replicate the circumstances. So if the AC is much louder than the heat, that test could be useless in the summer, unless they took the AC off. The best test would be to put the heat on. <laughs> Unless if the heat was maintaining a certain temperature and it actually wasn't on at the exact moment the scream happened. We don't know. Like, once again, there's, there's a lot of variables. All right, any final thoughts on the scream before we move on to the metal scraping sound? No, I'm good. Okay, so according to Schiller, Stanton's husband had heard a crashing sound. The sound of metal on concrete sometime after the scream. So there's a lot less information on this metal grating sound. Nobody else heard it. We really don't know what it could have been. We got almost nothing on it. So he came up with this, but he thinks his wife imagined the scream. Initially, that's what he thought. So what do we make of this?
1: Um, I I don't know. That's all you got? Well, there's not much. I I can't remember
0: what you said. Um, I don't I don't remember what you said. The metal scraping sound. Yeah. Nobody else heard it. It was just Stanton's husband, Melody's husband. So he thought she imagined the scream, and yet he heard the metal scraping sound for real.
1: Oh no! Shit, that's interesting. But it so like
0: right after the scream, it was some time later, an unspecified amount of time later.
1: Oh, so it could be, um. And it's not, they, they never thought of that as a possible exit, right? They never concluded that or anything or saw footprints or whatever that created the metal grating sound or whatever.
0: So there's some issues with footprints as well. We'll get to that because that's, that's, uh, that's another can of worms. There's a lot of problems. I mean, almost every piece of evidence here has a lot of problems with it. Actually, before we get off the scream, I forgot to mention this. Some people actually theorize that it was Patsy Ramsey screaming, finding Jean Bernay's body.
1: Ah, I like that. That's interesting.
0: I mean, Cause, the- cause like so,
1: so she got like that's that's that makes a lot of sense. But but the, also, but the description of that
0: lady was like a child. Curling well, which which description? Which description? I mean, there's a lot of descriptions.
1: Wait, didn't she say uh, in quotes that
0: blood curling scream from my child or some shit like that? It was the most horrifying, but that was Lou Smith's. I mean, we don't really know what she said. These are people reporting what she said, and she said different things at different times. She said she said the scream wasn't even that night. At another time, you know, what would be crazy. What if she heard a scream two nights prior, and that was the child's scream? And then she heard a different scream on the twenty sixth after midnight. Ah! If she heard two, that could co- that that could have caused the problems. She might have thought it was another night, and maybe the child it really was a child the other night. Maybe it really was Jean-Benet just screaming for whatever reason. Maybe Burke hit her. We don't know. But uh, yeah, would that explain her confusion? So if she remembers. So if she's remembering the scream. She remembered the child scream because that's what the people were interviewing her about. And she couldn't tell for sure. So if if it was Patsy that she heard screaming, because if it was the most horrifying or whatever, if it was horrifying in any way, I don't know. So yeah, in the other account, it was Stanton was awakened by one loud, incredible scream. So there's different, yeah, there's different, uh, yeah. Here's the other thing though. If you're, if let's say your neighbor who has children, a child screams at a random point in the night, you're not going to call police, right? Children scream all the time. Yeah, I guess. Especially if there's not further screams.
1: When they they play, like, even they they sound like sometimes they're getting killed when they scream. Yeah.
0: Well, also, if there's just one scream, I mean, obviously, if blood-curdling screams are happening again and again, you'd probably call the police at some point. Yeah, like, maybe, like, second or third time. Yeah, especially if there's big gaps in between. I don't know. It's just strange that it's not playing. Because if they're playing... And they continue screaming, everything's fine, because otherwise they wouldn't be able to continue screaming, I guess. I don't know. But if there's weird gaps or something seems off, one scream, is that really going to cause somebody to call police? I mean, how many police would be called out to how many houses if people called in a child scream every night?
1: Yeah, true, because it could always be mistaken for child, children playing and stuff. So, Or like, yeah, because, you know, kids uh, like surprise each other or like, you know, a kid takes away another kid's toy and they scream and it, it sounds like at first that it's uh someone getting killed but after a while your brain analyzes it and you know someone just took his toy or some shit
0: hmm. so the other thing that we have to we didn't really talk about uh once again drawing to thomas's account a third neighbor to the west said that her dogs who barked at anyone in the alley just as they did when the police came to question her, made no noise Wednesday night. Wednesday's the night of Christmas. Thomas does not provide the name of this neighbor, but Margaret Dillon lived across the alley to the immediate west of the Ramses. So the metal scraping sound, she, so this neighbor says that her dark that her dogs bark at anyone. So it's kind of like a routine thing. Okay. So, what's the metal scraping sound? So, is it if someone's not leaving the property? So, that's, that's kind of damning in the directions of the Ramseys because even if there is a scrape, which we'll get into a baseball bat issue, if that was the scrape or if someone's, or if it was the, the great. We, yeah, there's, there's so many unanswered questions here. But if it was Patsy who was screaming, what does that mean? That means she didn't kill her and that she found the body so that it was either John. Or Burke, or an intruder, or other family person. I mean, that it, it's, it opens up the door a little bit to more scenarios. Yeah. In Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, apparently Stanton was harassed by the media after the Scream information was leaked, and she really didn't want to be a witness at that point. So she was going to be called to testify. So it seems like this flip-flop back and forth. So she initially didn't want to be involved. Then her neighbor calls her in. She has to be involved. Now she's saying she might have heard it two nights before. Is she just making that up because now she wants out and she really did hear the (laughs) scream? from all the harassment? That's interesting as well, right? Yeah. You don't sound too interested. You said, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> she did not report it to the police. Her neighbor reported her on January third. You following? Okay, so so five days later, so what? Well, it's more than five days later. January well, December is one day or some shit. Yeah. I'm just setting the stage because you forget every two seconds. It's not about the it's not about the exact date. I'm saying she didn't want to initially she initially didn't report it. It wasn't until the third that her neighbor reported her. So she had to go to the police and she told them the scream really happened. Someone leaked this information to the media and she was harassed.
1: Oh that's nasty.
0: Yeah, that's what I just said. So now she so she initially didn't want to be part of the investigation. Then when she was forced to tell her account, she's being harassed. So is that why she said, Oh, maybe it was two days earlier, or maybe yeah. it was uh, who, is, who, is the, who is,
1: what neighbor reported this the girl? The lady? Which neighbor? Stanton's neighbor. So they just went. He just went out. Oh yeah. So Stanford lady said <laughs> Stanton.
0: Yes, they had a conversation. Melody Stanton mentioned that to her Stanford. neighbor, Stanford. and her neighbor called the police. Yes, I already said that.
1: Ah, uh, so I'm sure that. That's uh, so weird. Why? Well, I'm trying to imagine the conversation they had, and then she like Stanton t- telling the neighbor, you know. Hey, you know, the two weeks ago or a week ago, whatever, I heard a scream, and but don't tell anybody.
0: I'm sure she didn't say. Know. I'm sure she didn't say don't tell anybody because yeah, she, possibly possibly. she thought she could yeah, trust the neighbor. She probably said something like, "Man, I I really hope I didn't hear a scream. That would be terrible." Like yeah, yeah something she, like that. And then the neighbor just I don't know. The neighbor thought it might help, so she yeah. contacted the police. Why yeah. is any of that? You, you always focus on like the most irrelevant parts of it. Every- yeah, that's, that's, that's the likely event because... that <laughs> But it's irrelevant. Like, but that's completely irrelevant to everything because whether or not she said... I mean, it's, it's irrelevant to how that went down, whether it was kind of innocent in convo, whether it was weird conversation, whether they never spoke to each other again after that because she felt her trust was betrayed. All of that is irrelevant to the actual scream and what happened in the house.
1: Yeah, and what are you yeah. asking me? I was. Well, just, wait, was well, how did we get to this point? Uh, why did I thought it? it was weird or something? Or? No,
0: no, you're the one who diverted to the irrelevant. I'm saying, I was just pointing out the timeline that Stanton didn't want to be involved in the case. Yeah. Now, let me go over it for the fourth time. So she doesn't say anything. Her neighbor reports her. So then she yeah. gives her statement to the police and then she someone leaks this information. So whoever, it doesn't matter. Some Somebody within the police leaks it to the press. Or whoever, a reporter with connections. So now she's being harassed by the media because they all want interviews or whatever. Yeah. So and, is uh, that why she, she re- said.
1: How did she, how did she respond, did- respond to that?
0: Well, <laughs> you, keep it, <laughs> you keep interrupting me. We don't know how she responded to that, but I'm saying. If that's the reason she said, oh, maybe it was two nights before, or maybe it was negative energy, is the reason she said that because of the harassment from the press. Because she wants to be discredited as a witness so she won't have to testify or be involved in the media circus. Uh, I see. Are you sure you see? Because I said it like six times now, and you keep asking questions that have nothing to do with that.
1: So you're... um. Wait, let's see. If, uh, you're, you're saying that that she just she said something that will make the media go away.
0: Yes, she wants to. Dis- she was trying to discredit herself. Maybe yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. If she was trying to discredit herself, does that explain her just saying, "Oh, it was actually two nights before. Maybe it wasn't that night." Now nobody's going to want to talk to her anymore. <laughs> uh, I see. And she goes back to her peaceful life. No testifying
1: in front of a grand jury. So, so, right. so she made herself to be like an unreliable uh, witness.
0: Yeah. And then if that didn't work, I mean, I'm sure she did feel a certain amount of responsibility to, to tell the truth. So, yeah, so she never officially recanted or anything. Oh, man, that was rough, Maxwell. I think that's Wait. a new record of how many times I had to repeat a concept. <laughs> All right, so let's look at other neighbor. Okay, so you have nothing to add on that. So you just asked all these questions, you got all the answers, and you have no thoughts on the Well,
1: well, because I have no contribution, so like I'm, I'm trying to ask some kind of question that. No,
0: but why don't you have a contribution? Because I can't follow. It's hard to follow. And I thought you just did. Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> did you understand that she was trying to discredit herself, so she wouldn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah but it took like. 50 times, so you yeah but you 50 got times. it now
0: so where's your contribution now so i mean what what do
1: i say about that so what like now mm-hmm. so
0: you have no thoughts whatsoever about so what i'm
1: saying is like that's a good theory and i agree with you that she yeah. she she probably did that to this oh, okay. well so that's so it yeah that's, that's all yeah so
0: if that's your contribution then yeah that's it You that's better than saying nothing or that's okay <laughs> It's a good theory, and and it's a possibility that she did that uh, cool. to
1: discredit herself and like become it, yes, an. Yes, it does indeed.
0: It does indeed make sense that way. Okay, so let's look at the lights in the kitchen. So Schiller's account is at about midnight. Scott Gibbons, the other neighbor, looked out his kitchen window towards the Ramsey's house and saw a light on in the kitchen area, at about midnight when supposedly everybody was in bed asleep. So the Thomas account states, a neighbor to the north would say that the butler kitchen lights were on around midnight and considered that unusual since it was the first time he had noticed that light being on in the Ramsey home. Although Thomas does not provide the name, Gibbons lived next next door to the Ramseys to the immediate north. He would have had direct view of the butler pantry. So that's kind of interesting because he's saying those lights are never on, ever. They're just not used as a light. So like there's some kind of secondary lights that people don't use. What do you make of that? Does that support the intruder theory? Because if it's somebody... But why would an intruder put on the lights? That doesn't make sense either. None of this stuff makes any sense. No thoughts, Maxwell? Well, if he would brought a flashlight, you know, it would
1: be just another Watergate thing. So like... I don't know. I I think he would need lights to kill someone.
0: All right, so this guy, an internet poster known as Blue Crab, posted this. Gibbons, from his own kitchen window, observed the late-night movement of people in the Ramsey kitchen who, according to Gibbons, seemed to be creeping around in the semi-darkness so as to not awaken others in the house. Gibbons also saw a light on in the butler's kitchen at about 12 midnight. The first time he had ever seen that light burning. No source provided on the movement of late night people. So another poster known as Toltec stated this. The next door neighbor who witnessed the strange light in the kitchen around midnight said that it looked like someone was moving around as to not awake anyone. No source provided. Schiller adds, sometimes later, Adam Fermier, another neighbor who was up watching TV, said he didn't notice anything strange through the window that faced the Ramseys' house. Supposedly, in one of Patsy's interviews, she said the family was not good about leaving lights off. So that's kind of weird. So some theories state that the Ramseys paid everybody off, so they could have paid off some neighbors to say some things, for example, with the pantry or the scraping metal. I mean, who knows? I don't know if they would, or maybe even the scream. I don't know. Do you think that could have been uh, concocted if they paid Melody Stanton to say she heard a scream, and then, but not to go to the police, and then they told her to leak the information to the neighbor so it would seem more credible, so that the neighbor would go. Or is that is that is that going too far with the uh, <laughs> with the plotting?
1: Yeah, that's like, uh,
0: but you know, it makes it great film but (laughs) does it maxwell does it (laughs) all right so what was that movement some people think that burke and john benet were up super late either to sneak peek presents or uh or get a midnight snack and they didn't want to wake their parents and get in trouble or they were just playing with new toys or whatever so another issue is the missing safety light So once again, we're going to Thomas's account. A resident directly to the South reported that the light was off in the Southeast corner sunroom of the Ramsey home and thought that was odd because it was the only time she was aware in the past few years that it did not burn all night. So, I mean, this is really bizarre because we have a light that's never on being on. We have a light that's always on being off on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Is that too many coincidences for the night that she that John Bene happens to be killed? Is that too many coincidences for you, Maxwell? Mm. This There's is the a lot. only a lot of time, money. the only time in years that she noticed it was not burning on the in years. Yeah. <laughs> Diane Brumfit, another neighbor, told Detective Barry Hartkop on December 31st, that on Christmas night, she did not see a light in the southeast corner of the Ramses' house, although there had been a safety light in that spot for years. She remembered thinking that it was unusual. Although Thomas does not name Brumfitt, the Brumfitt house is next door to the Ramses to the immediate south. Alright, so these are all just really bizarre issues to the outside of the house, and now we're going to be moving to the interior. So which also hosts a slew of problems and unsolved variables and more questions than answers. But I think Maxwell Powers is up to the task with his immaculate memory and recall and invaluable thoughts (laughs) and analysis on all of these intricacies of the case. We're going to do it, right? Of course. Can't fail fail my army. (laughs) All right. So let's, let's look at the point of entry. So if it was an intruder, so a lot of the issues with the intruder theory, other than the broken window, was there signs of forced entry? And then, of course, we have John Ramsey's inconsistent statements about the broken window and just a lot of weirdness. So apparently there were no signs of forced entry. So the search warrants stated this. According to officers French and Veach, the first to arrive at the Ramsey house on December 26th, There were no signs of forcible entry into their residence, and the Ramseys believed that the house was locked when they went to bed. According to Officer Jim Byfield, Detective Linda Arndt also reported that there was no sign of forced entry to this residence. Okay, those are the initial reports. So let's go to the later reports. So... Law enforcement officials told Newsweek that the police knew several windows and a door had been unlocked that night. Two windows were opened slightly, allowing electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through. So several windows and a door had been unlocked. That's kind of damning. That's kind of damning. Because even if we don't consider all the people with keys to the house, from contractors to various previous owners and (laughs) just madness. All right, let's look at the basement window in the storage room. So a basement window was found broken in a basement storage room immediately adjacent to the train room or the hobby room. So do you see that, Maxwell?
1: Okay, looking. What, what uh, What are we looking
0: at? In the storage room is where the broken window was. So it's right next to the train room. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about it? That's what I'm discussing right now, so you can see the logistics. Okay. So a photo labeled crime scene photo was included in Lou Smith's PowerPoint presentation, and it shows the window wide open. But it doesn't appear to be a crime scene photo, since John Ramsey later described the window as being open only a tiny bit. Likewise, a poor-quality photo showing the window wide open and the suitcase on its side is here, yet there are other crime scene photos of the suitcase on its bottom. Another photo of someone standing next to the window also appears not to be taken at the crime scene, but there is no way of telling the date the photo was taken. So that's another problem because there's a whole bunch of inconsistencies with how open was it and uh, which exact photos were taken when. I mean, that seems to be an issue with, with a lot of cases. So yeah, there were inconsistent statements. John Ramsey said he broke it during the summer. So it would have been broken since the beginning of winter? So that's kind of weird. So they never fixed that broken window? Does that seem weird to you, Maxwell? I mean, they seem to have a lot of money. Even poor people generally... Either fix or board up, or somehow deal with broken windows. They don't just leave them, do they? No, they they board it up or something. So if John Ramsey broke the window, somehow, or Bert, I mean, uh, it's it's pretty weird. So if it's broken, couldn't you just open the latch from the outside and then just come in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see like uh, I see like two still, there's two bars still on the window, like that bar thing in the window, like, so you can't, so you have to, you still have to open it, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, let's watch a video of Lou Snit just climbing through the basement window. Okay. All right, so supposedly Boulder PD said it was impossible for an intruder to climb down through the window. That seems bizarre to me because that window is freaking huge, or they're saying somebody can't lift the grate. So you see that grate? Is that what made the metal scraping sound? even though it's all the way on the other side of the house that doesn't seem likely either but and that window is kind of big that's not one of the tiny ones and
1: he's pretty old yeah That's
0: uh yeah that was uh that was pretty simple i know right like it seems like yeah it's it's bizarre how they said it was impossible for an intruder to come in through that window <laughs> i mean that's so silly isn't it
1: and he just walked in
0: there like it was, it was like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, was like a, it was like a door. Yeah, it's. I, kinda... I, I'm
1: watching it again. He's like casually like. <laughs> All
0: right, there is one problem though. So the problem with this, which again, there's always some kind of an issue with everything. Oh man. Okay. So apparently there was a cobweb. So in the crime scene photos you can see a cobweb that was not disturbed.
1: Oh, I see. Um wow, that's interesting. A spider web.
0: So when was the the photo taken? I see that, but okay, it's in the corner. So can you it's a lot harder to climb through with that cobweb, right? Yeah, I can see that. So would the cobweb be disturbed or not? And then of course the issue is when did that cobweb form? So if the window was broken this whole time, it seems like there wouldn't be a cobweb because there'd be air blowing in and out, right? Maybe. Whereas if the window was, if the window was recently broken, I don't know. The cobweb was there before it was broken.
1: I see. I mean, it's still possible. The way it looks, it's still possible to kind of look, I mean, go into that without disturbing that. Well, I don't know. I mean, that is, that could be a disturbed cobweb. That was like a full-form, fully-formed <laughs> yeah, cobwebs.
0: cobwebs are pretty resilient as well, right?
1: <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, like, that could have been a full, like, spider, like, circular
0: web, and it was disturbed and it formed into that. All right, but do you see all that dust around the web as well? If someone is sliding in and out that window, would there be that much dust? Wouldn't there be, like, a sliding mark of a body? Oh, I see what you mean. Um Unless someone parkoured into it by grabbing the very, very top of the sill and just like hopping down like a like a parkour master, but if it was like Lucy did it, if it was like a slide through, oh that's rough. I mean, would there be that much dust? That's possible. I mean, it was
1: this. This is kind of like a ninja work because I mean, no no one could find the killer, so he must have been a little bit more athletic than the average person. Yeah,
0: you can also see a scuff mark under the wall, uh, on the wall right under the window. And John Ramsey reported in police interviews that he had come through the same window the preceding summer. So, was this the scuff from when he had come into it? So, if he got locked out or whatever reason, he came in through the basement window that's the other thing that's bizarre. If John Ramsey already told the police in police interviews, he had come down through the window in the summer. Why would they say it's impossible for a person to climb down through that window?
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. They, he already said that. And they said
0: that. That's weird. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's problems with every angle of this investigation. There's problems with the Boulder PD. There's problems with the Ramseys. There's problems with Lou Smith. There's problems at every angle. You look at this, there's so many problems. It's, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. So there were also no fingerprints found on the window. So according to Sowers, interior dusting of the window for fingerprints was done by crime scene investigators and no Latin prints were found. Again, if they're wearing gloves, I don't know. So the other issue is right under the window, there's no debris. There, I mean, there's not much. So if someone slid through a broken window with all the dust, or did they sweep up? Did they kill Jean-Benet? Then they took out a duster, swept up a little bit, and then left. What do you think? Uh,
1: I mean, if they already, if they did sweep up, then he's an experienced killer. You know what I mean? Because like, if you kill for the first time, and you you won't sweep up. So if if there's any indication that it's swept up and It's an experienced killer, I guess. Well, that photo is interesting. Um, yes yeah, so well, was- I, I didn't did know that room was that messy. I yeah, remember- but,
0: uh, if you look at a, uh, if you look at the suitcase which belonged to John Andrew Ramsey, which we talked about quite extensively. You could see, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of dust around the suitcase. So it's messy all over, but look right next to the suitcase, right under the window where there should be a lot of just dust, soot, any kind of fragments that got shaken loose because, look, like that, that area is not that clean from what we saw in the photo on the exterior of the window. It's not clean, so if someone came through, again, unless they just did a parkour hop,
1: I also don't see the, the cobweb or...
0: It Well, this is from inside. Yeah, yeah, okay. With the light on, so... Yeah, so the other issue is John Ramsey reportedly found it less than one inch open when he searched the basement on the morning of the 26th. This is his, his testimony. So if that's true and he opened it bigger or someone else opened it bigger and it was originally small... Would an intruder close the window after escaping? Maybe if it was windy or cold, they didn't want to tip it. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so as with everything, there's conflicting accounts regarding the spider web. So from Schiller. During their initial inspection of the exterior of the house on the day Jean Benet's body was found, detectives had noticed several strands of a spiderweb on the grate covering the window well in front of the broken basement window. It extended from the edge of the grate to some nearby rocks, and this seemed to confirm that nobody had entered that window recently. Internet poster Margu notes, There is no indication what time of day it was when Detective Everett and Wickman allegedly saw the intact strands. It was certainly not at 6 a.m. No one was there during daylight hours until after the body was discovered, the earliest time in the afternoon being 2 p.m. However, Sowers claims that, quote, as noted by detectives early on the morning of December 26th, An intact spider web covered the grate, which blocked off the window. In order to enter or exit the window, the grate would have had to have been removed. This grate was photographed and collected for evidence. Sowers further states, the web was reasonably intact and extended through the grating, suggesting that the grating had not been disturbed since the spider constructed its web. So if that's true and the spider web went all the way through the grate, that means the grate was first removed by the detectives when they took it in for evidence. No thoughts, Maxwell? let to say that again. The last couple sentences. Oh man. The spider web was observed to be going through the grate, not just the window. So you know how in the video, Lou Smith had to lift up the grate, the metal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're saying the spider web was growing through the grate. So it could, the grate could not have been lifted anytime recently. Ah, uh, see. So this was, you know, the, several hours after the murder or up to half a day or whatever it was. So I would just so I would dismiss
1: that. The I don't know, I would dismiss that theory, I guess. Or maybe like not completely, but I don't
0: well, know. Why was the suitcase just positioned the suitcase belonging to John Andrew, John Ramsey's other son, just ram- randomly who doesn't live with them, but who's co- whose uh, whereabouts cannot be 100% nailed down the exact time they arrive. but why would that suitcase be directly under the window as if someone was trying to climb it? You know what's weird? I hadn't really thought about this before. If Burke, for some reason, was trying to get out the window, he would need the suitcase to stand on. Ah, uh, that's
1: interesting. I like that. Um, I actually, for some reason, I didn't think of the uh, the briefcase as a stepping... Up. I guess that's the most people's theories. I
0: didn't even think well, it's about positioned it. right under the window. I mean, standing up like I mean, it's kind of bizarre. Well, looks... well,
1: actually, I don't, I don't even know the history
0: or the, the thing about the, the suitcase. I mean, wasn't it found empty or some shit? No, John Andrew's stuff was in it. There was some really strange stuff in it. You should have paid attention on our previous podcast. Oh, can you tell me what, what's in it right now, now? You're gonna have to go listen to the uh, this podcast. This podcast is not about incriminating John Andrew. Oh, um, okay. The contents of the suitcase are irrelevant for the purpose of our uh, dissection of the window. Okay. If someone was trying to get away and they were going to climb out the window, I guess they could put the suitcase there. But if they would just lift, if it was an adult, they would just lift the suitcase, toss it up, and then climb out if they were going to climb out. And if they're climbing in, I mean, a, it just doesn't make any sense. Was the su- when they were searching for Jean Benet, did they think she was playing hide-and-seek or something? And they moved the suitcase that was covering something and they just randomly placed it under the window? Or if you're a child, are you going to use that suitcase as a stepping stone? Uh, I, was, I would definitely use that as a stepping mm.
1: thing.
0: But we're talking about the cobweb here. You're saying you want to dismiss it, but what if that's not true, that it was growing through the grate? That's true because,
1: like, uh, well, that, that's possible because, like, the web could be attached to a grate but not actually attached
0: to something else and it just floated up as you open a grate or something. Mm. Or the Boulder police might have lied about that to make – wait, why would they lie about it? Oh, yeah, because they don't want an intruder theory being viable. So they downplay anybody being able to enter, and if they say the cobweb extended to the grate, they want the blame firmly on the parrots. That's one of the theories. But... So I don't know if we can discount it. I don't know if we can just simply discount that theory based on a cobweb. So there's actually evidence that the web was not attached to the grate. According to Thomas, Wickman had an argument at the Ramsey house with detective Greg Eidler, who had carefully lifted the metal grate above the broken window and found that the spiderweb between the window well bricks and the grate wasn't necessarily attached. What the heck does that mean? It wasn't necessarily attacked. That's just a weird way to put that. This case is just beyond weird. It's like we can't we can't nail down any single piece of evidence definitively. So Detectives Everett and Wickman disagree with Detective Eidler about whether the web was attached to the grate. So we don't know. So, April 2nd, Detective Michael Everett of the Boulder PD called entomologist Dr. Brent Opel of the Virginia State University Department of Biology, who is also known as Mr. Spider Man. Opel told the police that there are two general types of spider webs. The first, which are called cob or funnel webs, once established, are constantly reworked and added to by the spider. The second, manufactured by orb weaving spiders, is regularly replaced by the spiders and can be completed at any hour of the day in less than 12 hours. The police also learned that if the grate covering the window well had simply been lifted and the web damaged, the type of web would be hard to identify. But if something the size of a man had passed through the web, it would have been destroyed. Everett sent Dr. Opel an enlarged photo of the type of web in question. The entomologist said it appeared to be of the funnel type. So those are the ones that are constantly reworked and added to by the spider. Six months later, October 25th, Everett traveled to Vancouver Island and met with another expert, Dr. Robert Bennett of the British Columbia Ministry of Forests. The detective had with him a newly enlarged and enhanced photograph of the strands of the web that had covered part of the window grate. Bennett confirmed that it was a funnel web. This grate was photographed and collected for evidence. In May, the photos were submitted to Brent Opel, professor of biology at the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University in Blacksbury, Virginia. So Schiller-Sowers concur that Opel was given a police photograph. They disagree on the month. Schiller adds that the blown-up version was given to Bennett, but note that Schiller alludes to Opel being given photos of the type of web in question, which may or may not have been the original web. (laughs) The original web had never been photographed or committed to a report, a huge error that would have been extraordinarily controversial in months to come. I mean, there is a photograph of the web. It's unknown exactly the time that it was taken. However, in December, both Sergeant Wickman and Detective Mike Everett had seen at least three strands of a spider web reaching from the brick window upward to the covering grate. No one had photographed it. This is from Thomas, so that might not be true as well. So Thomas believes that Patsy killed John Binet accidentally. So he could be biased. So once again, if it's a funnel web, that means it could be broken and respun by the spider. Dr. Bennett confirmed that if the temperature rises sufficiently, spiders can come out of hibernation. In Boulder on Christmas night, 96, the temperature reached a low of six degrees, but it rose the next day to a high of fifty-one. And the grate faced southwest towards the sun. Perfect conditions for a hibernating spider. To wake up and repair a damaged web. And this is from Schiller. How do you like that, Maxwell? We're trying to unravel the case of Jean Benet Ramsey based on hibernating spiders waking up and repairing webs. What do you think? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> it just happens to be perfect conditions for a hibernating spider to wake up and, and re spin his damaged web. <laughs> Oh man. So that so uh, once were again, they,
1: wait, were they so they were like were they investigating what kind of spider that kind of thing?
0: Well, I don't I'm not sure 100% that matters because it's the type of web. So as I just stated, hope you're paying attention, if it's a funnel type of web, it can be added to. So certain spiders add to that web, so they oh. add to it. So it just happens to be that it was freezing, it was below freezing the night before, but then it jumps to 51 degrees. And the great faces the sun, which just happened to be the ideal condition for a hibernating spider to fix a broken web that possibly could have been broken the night before. I don't know if he could have done it that fast. I don't know. In October 97, Detective Everett would learn from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that it was impossible to determine the condition of the dew frost or snow cover on the ground around the Ramsey residence during the night of December 25th and into the morning of December 26th. Huh. Professor Opel reported that the web was that of the Agilende, known as a funnel web spider. There you go, Maxwell. They're identifying the spider. (laughs) That's funny. The web was reasonably intact and extending through the grating, suggesting that the grating had not been disturbed since the spider constructed its web. According to Professor Opel, these types of spiders would cease constructing webs no later than early November, thus indicating that no one had entered the window well past this early November deadline. The theory that anyone could have entered the Ramsey residence through this broken window was totally discounted by this simple evidence of nature. This is from Sowers98. So there seems to be some conflict here as well. However, if that's why the Boulder police said it was impossible to enter through the window, did they mean it was impossible because the spider web would have been broken and it had nothing to do with the size of the window? They just didn't say it because they didn't feel the need to say it. Do you even know that I asked a question, Max? Well, you're you're
1: saying that did they... um... Um, yeah, I, I forgot. Something about the web and the, the spider and why they're asking it or something.
0: When they said it was impossible for somebody to climb through the window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they say it was impossible because the spider web would have been broken? Um, not because of the size of the window, because obviously the size of the window, it's kind of silly to say somebody couldn't climb through because they could. So if they, if they somehow knew that the spider web could not have been broken to base they based that on saying it was impossible that anyone could have entered. Do you not understand the question?
1: Um, you're saying that
0: if... If you have a door to your room, if there's a spider yeah. web on the door and somebody discovers your body there and, and the spider web is intact, that means nobody entered through the door, right?
1: Uh, not likely because the spider is, has a, has a web.
0: I I mean, mean, let's say the web covers pretty much the whole doorway.
1: Yeah. yeah, That means nobody, unless, unless, unless the spider can build it in like two minutes.
0: Yes. So same thing with this basement window. If the web went up through the grate and disturbing the grate would have ripped the web off. That's why the police might've said it was impossible to enter through the window. Oh, I
1: see. So they're basing on the spider web and stuff. I
0: was asking, is that why they said it was impossible? Having nothing to do with the size of the window. Ah, I see. Uh, it but only took a while.
1: That's a big possibility. I mean, if they were really thinking about it.
0: Yeah. So there does seem to be a dispute if the spider web was observed much later in the day, where there was enough warmth and time for the spider to re-spin the web. Unless, so, if it was, so it seems to be the critical aspect here is if it was observed first thing in the morning, then it could not, there was not enough time to be respunned because it was too cold and no sun. So without knowing the exact time the web was observed, we got nothing. <laughs> All right. So let's go to the butler pantry door. So this is on the north side of the house. So this is on the first floor. When you enter a foyer adjacent to the kitchen you see it? Wait, what, what floor am I looking at? <laughs> the first floor.
1: Okay, I see you the first floor. Um, wait, what was the question again?
0: Oh, man. Uh, no question. I just said, look at the, uh, we're looking at the pantry. Pantry in the butler pantry yeah. area. Yeah, so that butler pantry area, it looks like uh, there's, there's a door right there, right where the red is pointing to, the, right where the flickering light is.
1: Right, I see that door.
0: Yeah, so that's the pantry door that goes outside. So that's what I'm talking about right now. Okay. So the butler's door to the kitchen was found ajar that morning. Defendants note that the butler's door was only a short distance away from the spiral staircase where the ransom note was found. Okay. So you see it's right there to where the ransom note is? It's not that far? Okay, I
1: see a ransom note. Um, yeah, it's not that far,
0: it's So, and the ransom note was found and within plain view of where the pad of paper used for the ransom note was found. Rocky Mountain News reported a police report noted that a Ramsey friend who arrived at the home shortly after 6 a.m., one of the first people there said a door on the first floor called the butler door was ajar. The Ramsey friend was likely John Fernie. Okay. So, okay, so there was no forced entry. However, if the door was somehow unlocked or ajar... So Frank Kaufman, a Boulder freelance writer and photographer, covered this case. And supposedly, he actually broke into the Ramsey house. By jimmying the lock on the door on the butler door. So I don't know if he's an expert lock pick, but he, he seems to, he did that as a, this is allegedly, it was just reported online, a rumor that this particular guy was able to, to jimmy the lock. So either it's not a good lock or he's an expert locksmith. So if he did that, then anybody could do that, is what people postulate. What do you think, but if it was already open and Patsy said herself they weren't good they weren't good about uh or if, I don't know if they weren't good about turning off lights and locking doors like some people aren't no thoughts at all, Maxwell? um yeah i, I
1: yeah, I don't know. I remember something about a door being like a jar or something
0: so on an interview with uh, Larry King, they mentioned that uh, King actually asked. Is that because they found no entrance into the house? Patsy said, we don't know why. Because he's talking about it being someone else or the Boulder Police Department made up their minds that it was John and Patsy. So he's saying, is that because they found no entrance into the house? Patsy says, we don't know why. John Ramsey says, well, we know, Larry, that a window was open. Under that window was a suitcase as a step for a step to get up through it. We learned later that they found a door open, which I didn't know about until almost a year later. That house is not difficult to get into. So why is John? So John Ramsey is calling his house that house. I mean, I guess he's got two so or more houses. So (laughs) I guess he would say that. But uh, if you only own one home, I guess you wouldn't be talking about that home. I don't know. But he yeah, actually
1: that is a good point like that house like I would say that house if I had like three houses yeah
0: yeah was- Oh, look at that you paid attention to something I said Maxwell <laughs>
1: Well I, I I had to take advantage of the opportunity because it actually made sense so I, I had to
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's kind of interesting that he keeps saying they didn't know about any of this. So it seems weird that they wouldn't know that a door was open. It's, it's so weird. What do you think about that? Yeah, but it's a big house. Like, why would he know that a door is open? If a... Oh, okay, if your kid was found murdered in your house, and there was a police investigation that showed no signs of forced entry, and yet one of the doors was open, you wouldn't know about it? Oh, I, I would know about it. I mean,
1: but wait, was it open? Oh yeah, it was open. The the, the great door, right?
0: Not no, the great is not a door. We're talking about the pantry door.
1: Oh, okay. Oh yeah, that would be that would be weird.
0: He said that he didn't know about it.
1: Wait, he didn't know about it or they didn't know about it? <laughs> oh he didn't he didn't he didn't know about it because because <laughs>
0: they the being... they being the police that discovered the door being open. You're you're asking whether the people that discovered the door being open didn't know about the door being open. <laughs> Maxwell Army.
1: No, no, uh, uh, wait. So, so John didn't know that the door was open. That's what he's saying in this interview with Larry King. Yes, but the cops said that the door was open.
0: Yeah. Well, they did. This was the information that was revealed. Yes. Well, if well,
1: uh, that's Yeah, kind of, uh, I don't know. Um, if your kid is murdered, you're probably stressed out. Yeah, I guess you would have a heightened attention on what's going on in your house, so you would notice
0: that it was open. That would be the the only thing you'd care about would be the investigation and what they're finding, who the suspects are, what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have very weird questions, Max.
1: But it is kind of weird to have the pantry open, though. Like,
0: why Why would the pantry be open?
1: I mean, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Maybe, maybe like, the uh, wife... Uh, got some food or the kid got some food. Maybe the, it's a habit for the kid to leave the doors open after they get their dessert or something.
0: <laughs> All right, so do you see the Primarchs? So there's, a, there's another door on the other side of the house by the den, and it has Primarchs on it on the exterior frame of the door on the left side. Okay. Do you see that, old Primarchs? Yeah okay so that's kind of interesting too because how often do people try to break into this house so here's what's weird so supposedly patsy didn't seem distressed when a family friend said the door had been damaged and so boulder police department sees marks by a door and they, by a damaged door, and they don't find that strange or at least signs of an attempted forced entry? Isn't that weird?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, did they, did they try to come into their own house?
0: Because sometimes, like, people get locked out or something. Oh, you mean the Ramseys? When, when I'm talking about the police and you say they, most people would contextually take that as the police because that's who I'm talking about.
1: Oh, I see. Um, with the Ramseys...
0: Did you mention getting locked out at all? Or? Well, depending on which one of John Ramsey's stories you believe. But no, he well, John Ramsey himself said the house is, that house is not hard to get into. That's a weird statement to make because are you, okay, that statement is bizarre. I actually, okay, I'm on the fence. I'm pretty neutral about all these theories. I'm, I'm trying to examine them. That is one of the most damning because it seems semi innocuous, but that's one of the most damning things I think John Ramsey has ever said. That house is not hard to get into. Now, if you're a loving, protecting father, even if that was true, would you really want to broadcast how bad of a parent you are that you don't even keep your house locked for your children?
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of messed up.
0: Um... And the lackadaisical fashion in which you say it, you're not like, yeah, I mean, that it was a big house. I mean, it might be possible for people to break in. Or, or, you know, we didn't have the top notch security like we should have. You know, that's a better statement, right? We didn't have, we yeah. didn't double check like we should have. That's, a, you know, that's legit. You know, it's, it seems like you're, you're trying to, you know, you're trying hard, keep, keep the house locked up as good as you can, but you make mistakes. He just offhandedly said, Oh, yeah, that house is not hard to get into. <laughs> Does that yeah. seem weird to you or what?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of the psychology behind that. I mean, if it, I mean, I although I have to say, I have to say I've been locked out of the house a few times and I got in. You you like you kind of find a way to get in. And, you know, I got through the basement like you, you kind of like look around. What's the easiest window to get into because you don't feel like calling anybody and bothering anybody. So uh, there was a window actually like, yeah, for, so when I got locked out, the easiest window to get into with all the steps that's, you know, easiest for me would be the, the front window by the living room. So I just, I just went through that because the basement window is actually like a, like uh it comes, it comes down. So like, you'd probably like cut yourself uh, with a, you know, broken, broken window. So you go through, the, I don't know, like, like now if you ask me that if, if my house, like if, you know, if there was a crime scene there, I would probably say, yeah, that house is not that hard to get into because I got in like a few times. So I don't know. Maybe he's saying, "I'm. I'm thinking he got locked out a few times and got in a few times, and then he concluded <laughs> that it was easy to get into."
0: Yeah, but you're gonna state that on national television <sighs> in that fashion, like uh, I'm not. Sh-
1: uh, well, you know, knowing me, I, I would <laughs> say that because, <laughs> because, because I would say 'cause because it was easy for me because I didn't I didn't break any windows. It took me like like. Maybe, I don't know, it didn't take that long. I mean, I just pushed up the window, did my, you know, my contortionist thing going on, and and then I got in.
0: All right, so here's, this is from Kolar's book. Mrs. Fernie shared one additional tidbit of information with investigators that have been bothering her. She indicated that late in the summer or early fall of 96, she had observed damages to the latch area of an exterior screen door located on the rear south side of the Ramsey home. Mrs. Fernie was concerned that perhaps a burglary attempt had been made to the home and shared this information with Patsy. They inspected the door and determined that the interior door exhibited no damages whatsoever. Patsy expressed no concern about the damaged screen door and suggested that perhaps John was responsible for the marks. He reportedly was always forgetting his keys and had broken into the house on other occasions. There you go, Maxwell, validating your theory.
1: (laughs) All right, yay. (laughs) Maxwell finally got a contribution. (laughs)
0: Mrs. Fernie indicated that she had seen a photograph of the same screen door displayed in an advertisement running in one of the Denver newspapers shortly after the murder. The advertisement, placed by Ramsey attorneys and taking up at least half of the page of the newspaper, purported that this may have been a possible point of entry used by the kidnapper of Jean Benet. This did not sit well with Mrs. Fernie because Patsy was fully aware that these damages had been inflicted upon the screen door weeks or months prior to the murder of Jean Benet. The use of this particular photograph seemed to be an attempt to mislead the public about the evidence associated with the crime, and the Fernies indicated that they severed their contact with the family following their observation of that advertisement. That's kind of weird, right? Did you follow that? Uh, no. Or were you too busy celebrating your, uh, <laughs> your your thoughts on John Ramsey being locked out of the house and having to break in all the time, which is why he said that house is not easy to get in, is, that house is not hard to get into.
1: <laughs> Partly. But uh, can you rewind like three sentences?
0: Apparently the Ramseys or the attorneys of the Ramseys put up an ad... For the screen door in the Denver newspapers, it's unclear whether they're selling, are they selling the, the are they selling it or what, what, what the heck? They're, that's
1: really weird. Like, are they trying to show that the screen door was
0: like, that's kind of weird. They're trying to show that it's damaged and it could have been used as a point of entry by the kidnapper of Jean Benet. But Mrs. Fernie knew that the damage happened weeks or months prior to her death. Because she had pointed it out before, uh, I see. Late summer, late summer, early fall. She saw the damages to the latch area. So it was either. So yeah, it was probably. It might have been John. Uh, it might have been John Ramsey trying to get back in. But does that story really sit well with you? So apparently, there's so many different keys to the house. This guy's a multi-millionaire, successful businessman. If he, how is his house key not on his car keys? So he drives in, and then he has to break into the house. Or like, how often can you lock yourself out with that many doors in the house? Like if you're doing yard work, are you only going to have one door open when there's side doors? You have two kids, you have your wife, you have a housekeeper. I mean, do you buy his story or this, this story about John Ramsey being uh, constantly locked out of the house? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd be, I'd be quick to jump onto just believing that immediately. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But I don't know. Like, do you really see John Ramsey as some bumbling idiot who keeps locking himself out of his house?
1: Not really. I mean, I could see it, like, a couple of times, though. I mean, well, rich, rich bastards, like, kind of, you know, they have a lot of their minds, so, like, they lock themselves up, probably.
0: I don't know. I don't know. That's all weird to me. Very, very weird. But if the damage was only to the screen door and not the interior door... I guess police probably wouldn't necessarily pursue that. But let's move on to the garage. So this is from the 1998 interviews. So Lou Smith is interviewing John Ramsey. Does the garage door close automatically? John Ramsey says no. Lou Smith, or was it open for a little while? John Ramsey says, well, it doesn't close automatically. There's a button by the door. Normal practice would have been to close it from the inside at some point. Think about this. You had her in your arms, inaudible. John responds, I don't remember closing the door myself. I only remember carrying her. Lou Smith says, Think about that at some point, okay? Now, do you remember going up the spiral staircase? Yes. The uh, Mike Kane interview, In terms of the button on the garage door, it is on the interior of the garage or the interior of the house? John Ramsey responds, I think it's on the interior of the house. Maxwell, <laughs> Maxwell. Yeah, live, what's up? If you live, did you hear that?
1: I, well, you started laughing about something inside the house or something.
0: Did you hear anything I just said?
1: I don't I can't recall. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, must, must be must be funny must be funny because you left.
0: It's pretty funny, yes.
1: So what is it?
0: Why don't you pay attention?
1: I don't know. I'm trying, but so what is it? Do you see the first floor garage?
0: Hold on. Okay. And then you see the alarm panel? Yeah. All right. So he's being interviewed by Lou Smith. He asks if the garage door closes automatically. John says no. John says it doesn't close automatically. There's a button by the door. Normal practice would have been to close it from the inside at some point. He said he doesn't remember closing the door. Okay. In another interview with Mike Kane, Mike Kane asks In terms of the button on the garage door, is it on the interior of the garage or the interior of the house? John Ramsey responds I think it's on the interior of the house. <laughs>
1: Oh that's weird, so he doesn't he not he doesn't know? Like
0: <laughs> Where the door to the garage that he he must have hit that countless times because every time he pulls into the garage he would have to close well, it.
1: Well well let me ask you this. If they if they don't use it a lot, then he might, he might not remember. But if the cars are inside it, then that he would he should remember. I don't know, but if but if it's rarely used, like he go he he never goes in there, he might not remember. It's a big house. I don't know. <laughs> You're
0: saying he never uses his garage?
1: Well, I'm asking. If the cars are in there, he uses it a lot. And, he, and if it's the frequent car driving cars. But,
0: you know what's it's weird? Driving. I mean, I remember, I remember where that button is on my uncle's house, who I've only been to a couple times, you know? I, don't even, I never used it, but I just remember where it was because he's got a nice garage. Think about all the houses, you, the garages that you've traversed. Do you remember if the button was on the inside? Usually it's on the interior. It's in Usually the it's,
1: interior. it's inside the garage.
0: Yeah. But John's saying, I think it's on the interior of the house. So you have to, and then the follow-up question, Mike Kane says, so you can be fully in the house before you push that button? John Ramsey says, I believe so. As I recall, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, let me, well, let let me give you this. He, if he's got a lot of houses, he might be mixing up the garages in his brain.
0: Okay. But that means the garages would have to look similar to get mixed up. Right. But it's three. See, okay. Two or three houses is not a million houses. And if, if it's that irregular to have it, if it's that irregular, if all his other houses are in the interior of the garage and this is the only one where it's on the exterior, he should remember that easily. Yeah, I guess. Someone also asked her if uh, someone asked Patsy in an interview if she could hear the garage door from her bedroom go up and down. She said no. Also, they never used their alarm. Patsy said when Jean Benet was probably about two years old when answering when they had last used the alarm at the Boulder house. And there was a lot of construction. They also had it. Automatic remotes in the cars. And there was a door to the courtyard directly from the garage and an interior door connecting the garage. So the other thing is, if the garage door were shut, someone who had something known as a code-trapping device could open it from inside the garage. The door into the house from the garage was never locked. Another thing that's not covered are the footprints on John Benet Ramsey's balcony. So we are once again going to the Benita papers. Footprints were found in the dust on the deck of the balcony outside John Benet's bedroom. The impressions ranged from tennis shoes, running shoes, hiking boots and a child's bare feet positioned to look over the edge. However, this inspection was done after the frost had cleared after the morning of the murder. Reports by officers the morning of December 26th stated that there were no footprints visible in the frost coating of the balcony. So again, we have a very strange timeline here that may or may not be honestly reported by the Boulder PD if they had some kind of an agenda.
1: What do you think? Um, I don't know. I... I don't know.
0: Did you hear that?
1: Well, you asked if, um, if there's some kind of agenda. Um, Based
0: on what? Why did I ask that? Um, the, the breaking in. The, no, um, there were footprints found on John JonBenet Ramsey's balcony. Oh, no shit. What, 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 how can you not hear that?
1: I did hear it. Well, actually, I didn't. Well, maybe I did. I don't know, but I just don't remember. That you're saying it.
0: Oh, man. Wait, there were
1: footprints on the balcony and shit?
0: Okay, so I'll, just, I'll read it again for Maxwell. Footprints were found in the dust on the deck of the balcony outside John Binet's bedroom. Oh, no shit. <laughs> the impressions ranged from tennis shoes, running shoes, hiking boots, and a child's bare feet positioned to look over the edge. Oh, so they had that many shoe options? That's what it looked like. There were different impressions. So Burke had boots. Um, Yeah, so anyway, so this is from the Bonita papers. However, the inspection was done after the frost had cleared after the morning of the murder. Uh, How did they know that? Because, well, it would have been later in the day when it reached a high of 51. Whereas in the morning, it was much lower temperature. Reports by officers the morning of December 26 stated that there were no footprints that were visible in the frost coating of the balcony. So there's different reports here. So apparently later in the day, there were. Earlier, they weren't. Was it determined what footprints they were? Because were they Burke's child's footprints or because if. If whatever conditions on the balcony show Jean Benet's footprint, I mean, I don't know, it's weird. And also the reason I asked about the Boulder P D not being able to be trusted, because what if they mixed and matched reports as necessary to, to cast doubt on the intruder theory? Wait, why would they um why would they cast that out? Because they think John Ramsey and Patsy Ramsey killed John Bonet, so that's why they said all the things they said. Oh, I see. So they're trying to get rid of that. that well, maybe they theory. really, maybe they really do think that the parents did it. But so that that way, they're just not really doing real investigation in other avenues. So maybe they dismissed it not nefariously because they really do think that John and Patsy did it.
1: I see. Like they're 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 unconsciously buying into their theories, and they yeah, so they don't it.
0: think it's fruitful to examine other options because they think they already know what happened. Because usually. It's the family member. Mm. Thoughts on the footprints, the Boulder PD activity, all of these logistics that we're going over where there's so many variables, unanswered questions, conflicting accounts regarding every twist and turn in this case. Almost every piece of evidence has conflicting accounts. Isn't that weird?
1: Um, I don't think it's weird. I mean, people are people, and then people conflict in their perspectives, so... That's nothing weird about it.
0: Well, in other cases, for example, there were either, there's definitive statements. There were no footprints. There were footprints. There were cobwebs. There were no cobwebs. The window was open. The window was closed. Um, In other cases, there's none of these conflicting issues. In this case, it seems every single piece of evidence has conflict. I'm not talking about people's opinions. I'm talking about directly conflicting statements. Or the ambiguity determine like there's footprints on John Benet's Ramsey's balcony. When were those footprints really there? We don't know. We don't have timestamps on this. Was the, were they intentionally withheld? I don't know. I'm just saying it's weird. At one point there were footprints. At other point there were no footprints. Whose footprints were they? if they were John Benet's or Burke's? Or unidentified footprints. I Wait, mean, wasn't, wasn't that wasn't that one of the uh, like the ratters or like the Pinterest
1: type people? Like they they said that it was dead in the uh, it was failed in the beginning because of all the footprints that came about that trampled on the real footprints that were there. I don't know. That was
0: outside. Yeah, that was outside. We're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about the balcony.
1: We're just talking about the balcony. Okay, got you.
0: But, yes, there were issues, and we'll be getting to those in future episodes. But, yeah, so that was my point with almost every piece of evidence has a conflicting... John Ramsey doesn't even know where the button is for the garage door. <laughs> uh. We got problems in this case, Maxwell. We got problems. But I hope you enjoy another episode of the Mindshock True Crime Podcast. If you like the podcast, feel free to donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you like the video. Feel free to share it. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. I'm Axel Powers. See you guys next time. <laughs>